Are you bummed that you cannot attend our live collective? We are too. But don't worry, because if you want to study on your own time and you've got those sick self-management skills that Liat and I both don't have, you can go over to www.studynotesava.com and look under test prep and look under on demand. And you're going to see that we have one month, two month, four month video bundles and our newest product, which is the digital study buddy must haves that includes mock exams and homework. And you actually get two and a half months. So it all depends on where you're at in your study journey, but no matter where you are, we've got you. Study Behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here with episode 140. Casey, take it away. I love a good round number. When we hit those, like, finish out like a set of 10, I feel really accomplished. But all right, I have, as you should, I have two rhymes today. You guys know that I love to match the rhyme to kind of what we're talking about. Um, and we've talked so much about my childhood trauma that I just had to make a little bit of a self-deprecating rhyme to begin with, but there'll be a funnier one after. Okay. Episode one, four, zero. My attachment style is 50% anxious, probably because in my childhood, the adult care I received was zero. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're diving in. We're diving in. We do not pussy foot around anything. Okay. Also, I mean, I want to be feeling bad for you, but I think you just rhymed zero with zero again. No. Yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so you still okay, here's a rhyming. Better. Here's Keep another going. One. Okay. Second rhyme. Episode 140. Stop dating D-bags because you, my queen, are a hero. I love that. Nice job. Okay, it kind good. of talks about like both parts of the podcast we're going to talk about. Um, totally. No, you did. I, you hit on it all. A nice work case. Thanks. Just I, I think I've told you this before that the same <laughs> words like shoe and chew don't rhyme. Shoe and... Pikachu rhyme. Perfect. I might do All next right. time one four O and rhyme it with O. Yeah. All right. That's a Anyways, good one. wow, 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 wow. Casey's on fire with her rhymes. Okay, so before we go any further today, I think it's time to give ourselves some reinforcement that you have given us. And this one is coming in from Meg. Oh, look at you in the outline. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it for once. (laughs) All right. Meg, who was once lost with a heart. Thank you for making me fall back in love with our field. I've been struggling since becoming a BCBA as I was also feeling the imposter syndrome bad. I didn't have great mentorship. So when I was thrown into the field after passing my boards, I had no idea what I was doing, LOL. I work in a state-locked adult psychiatric hospital where most of my patients do not have autism, but rather severe challenging behaviors and various mental health diagnoses. I felt like I didn't belong in this field. I started listening to your podcast and you have opened up my love for it again. And I'm excited to start embracing the BCBA. I know I can be. Thank you, Leah and Casey. Meg, I'm so happy that you were once lost, but now you're found. We love you and we thank you so much. And yes, you are a badass BCBA. Believe that about yourself and go out and change the world. All right. With that, we now have our behavioral principles. Today, we will be covering stimulus generalization over generalization, external validity, respondent conditioning, operant conditioning, neutral stimuli, conditioned stimuli, eliciting response, 
Selectionism. These are not in order at all. What's up, guys? If you are listening and you are a BCBA or BCABA and you are searching for some really interesting, badass CEUs, we've got you. And not only do we got you with some cool CEUs, we've got you with a discount code for any of our CEUs. You can use the code BITCHES10 for 10% off any CEUs over on our website, ceu.studynotesaba.com. Go sign up. You know you need 32 of them. You know you need supervision and ethics. And guess what? We've got you on all of them. And they're fun, entertaining. You're going to want to share them with your friends and everyone. And they're going to help you be a better clinician. Love you. Mean it. So our guest today, I am super excited about. I have been following her for a while on Instagram. And I was like, dude, well, I've been saying for a while, we need someone to come on and talk about the dun-dun-dun attachment styles. Carol, you know, who like does the study notes app with us, she always is doing this research on different things. She sent me the book Attached a while back. I never read it until I read it one Shabbat. I had time and I literally read the whole book in one sitting. And that's when I got into really understanding these attachment things. And then I said, dude, we've got to do a topic on this. And I was like, I follow this Dr. Morgan, Dr. Morgan Anderson. I wonder if she would come on our podcast. So we've reached out. If you don't reach out, the answer is always no. If you reach out, it's sometimes no. But this answer was a yes. So here we have Dr. Morgan Anderson. Casey's going to give an intro. I will do a very quick cute one and then she's going to, you know, dive into herself. But Dr. Morgan Anderson, she's a clinical psychologist, an attachment theory expert. She's an author and the host of top rated podcast, Let's Get Vulnerable, which I did spend a good portion of my morning listening to. And I um, like commend you for being a one woman show most of the time. I don't know how you do it. You're great. Um, she's got a shit ton of followers on Instagram, downloads, and the book we're going to talk about today, best-selling book, Love Magnet, How to Get Off the Dating Roller Coaster. Dr. Morgan is a powerful voice for women's healing and a thought leader in the relationship space. All right. Now that I've said all that, Morgan, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I, I love what y'all are doing, and I know we're going to have a great conversation. Absolutely. Oh, I have so much to talk about here. So I'm actually holding. Uh, do you want me to call you Dr. Morgan or Morgan? <laughs> you can call me Morgan. Go for it. Just, I mean, I just feel like we're having like a girls chat yeah, over here. Call but, me Morgan. You know, keep sure. it cash. But not that I do not admire the D. <laughs> I, like, know. I know. I know that work goes into it. For sure. I mean, the DR, not the D. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. Okay, whatever. So. Topic. <laughs> Um, I'm holding this book and if you guys haven't seen it, by the way, we already commented on her amazing shots from the book. It seems like people are getting on the podcast lately have amazing people taking their photo shots, which is like Casey and I really need some help with that. That's why ours is a cartoon on our podcast cover. (laughs) (laughs) But until we're in the same location, we'll have to just stick with that. But first of all, can you tell us kind of what urged you to write this book? Mm. Love Magnet. 
Yeah. So I had my own dating experience in my 20s, lots of ups and downs, the roller coaster dating life that I talk about. I went through like so much pain and um, I just knew that I wanted to make something that my like 20 something self would have enjoyed reading like a book that like really would have changed my life and helped me get on the right path. So I, I really was was writing this for my early 20s, you know, 20 something self. Not that, I mean, this will help you no matter what age you are, but it's like, this is exactly what I needed. And this book would have helped me avoid so much pain. So I just knew, okay, I have to get this out. And I love the book Attached. It is a wonderful book on attachment theory. And it feels a little bit researchy, like it's not as fun and it can't relate to it quite as much. So I wanted to make a book that was about attachment theory, but it was also fun and would, would make you laugh out loud while, while you read it. Yeah, you definitely do. Like the guy that you went out with who like carried a, um, a doorknob. A doorknob. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's yeah, like only in hindsight so. when you look back, it's like, what <laughs> yeah right I know you guys have to check it out to see it but I mean also when you're saying like you're like you wish you had this in your 20s but I'm noticing with a lot of my friends are like I'm now 32 so like a lot of us are like in our 30s mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of people are kind of like finding out about like let's say maybe these attachment styles or this and that or like you know like they've already like gone through the ringer or you know I mean maybe like if it's the best, if like things worked out for you and you didn't happen to know along the way, but like maybe if you're like going through these things, it seems like people are kind of finding out in their 30s. So like if someone mm-hmm. could explain it to you earlier on, mm-hmm. also like potentially while the dating pool is larger, mm-hmm. <laughs> also, so then you have like two things in your favor would be nice. So, and you've definitely done this in here. And you start your book off with a lot of things about our belief systems. And I feel like our podcast has like, seems to be like veering always towards trauma, but it just seems like everyone is carrying some trauma. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a lot of stuff is always coming back from that. And you talk about these beliefs that we have and kind of being able to um, make the unconscious conscience, as you call it. Can you talk about how these beliefs affect us? Absolutely. And I think this is something that doesn't get talked about enough in like a traditional, like if you're, if you're meeting with a therapist, you may or may not talk about your belief system. That's just kind of the reality, but beliefs are the core of everything. They're, they're basically our unconscious template for why we do what we do, who, why we're attracted to who we're attracted to. Um, And if you're not aware of what your beliefs are, then there's no way for you to change them. But of course, they they get developed through your experiences, through models that you have in early childhood, and your beliefs start developing as soon as as you're born. Like you can have a whole belief system created by the time you're seven. Um, And I talk about in the book, like some of those beliefs are going to help you survive through your childhood. They're going to help you do what you need to do in relationships as you're growing up. But then as you become an adult, if you have that same belief system that you had as a child, it's most likely going to trip you up and it's going to sabotage you from getting what you want in your adult life. So I really truly believe that everyone needs to examine their belief systems 
beliefs about themselves, beliefs about relationships, beliefs about money, beliefs about career. Like we all need to look at our belief systems and just make sure that we're consciously choosing what it is that we want, right? Because beliefs, as you all know, you're in behavior, like beliefs impact thoughts, behaviors, emotions. It's like, it's what's driving the car of your life. And you don't want your seven-year-old self driving the car for your life, right? Like you don't. That's a great analogy. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's just listening, potentially, and you're studying for the exam, you know, for your BCBA, if you guys are listening to this, we're talking about selectionism, right? Selectionism in terms of operant selectionism, like how we choose things that serve us, right? So like if we tell a joke and people laugh at it, we're probably going to tell that joke again, right? Mm -hmm. If we used aloe vera on a sunburn and it worked for us, we're probably going to use that again. And these are things that these beliefs you have did serve you at some time, whether it's for, I, I know in here you said for different things, potentially like um, to protect yourself from pain. Right. If you... Um, survival in general. Survival, yeah, just surviving. Yeah. Connection is survival. I think a lot of times we forget that. It's not just a roof over your head. It's not food. As a child, you need connection with your caregiver. So yeah, maybe if you had an emotionally unavailable parent, you know, you learned that um, I can't express my needs. And if, I, if I'm happy all the time, if I show positive emotion all the time, that's how I create peace in my home. And that's how I connect with my parent. Uh, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hi. I just raised it's my me. hand. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> so like, that's just not going to serve you in your adult relationships, you know, because if we're not showing up authentically, then we can't maintain relationships over a long period of time. It just makes a relationship not sustainable. So yes, I, I love what you're saying though, about the, what was it that you called it? Selectionism? selectionism we talk about i mean it you know we talk about it over uh, like we talk about phylogenic selectionism which is like why darwinism giraffes and have, survival like, of yeah, the like, species yeah like why giraffes have long necks but that happens over generations but we also talk about things like operant over our own life through our own learning history and like it might have served us to be happy and smiley all the time as a kid but now it's like that's really fucking you over in your relationship when you're like really so unhappy because you're just smiling at everything and making everything okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it really comes into acknowledging these, um, you know, the beliefs. That, well, I mean, the problem is, is that a lot of beefs, we uh, beefs, beliefs, we look at as facts. I mean, I've done a lot of therapy in my life. So I've done a lot of CBT. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this like reminds me of a lot of that. And it's like, you look at these things as it's a fact, right? Well, so it's, it's so interesting because I was just on vacation with my family, my aunts and cousins and, Matt, my husband, he's definitely seen me not be the happy Casey. And he calls it when I see red, which is like, get the fuck out of my way. Um, but I don't show anyone. I've never really shown anyone in my family. Liat's probably seen it. But it was just funny because I was uh, praised. Yeah. I, all my childhood, I remember the one praise I always got from my parents and my you know, people close to me was, she's such a happy kid. She's such a happy baby. She's so happy. Oh my God. Casey, big cheeks and blah, 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 blah. So like, I've always been that way. And my aunt was saying when we were on vacation last week, she's like, oh my God, Casey's the happiest ever. She's never in a bad mood. She's always just happy giving. And Matt's like laughing and he's like, mm, you haven't seen the other side of her. And I was like, it made me think like, I really don't show that side to anyone. 
and it's a it's a protection. If I'm happy and I'm mm-hmm. smiling and I'm this, then no one has to ask me what's wrong and I don't have mm-hmm. to talk about things. And yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like everything we do, we do because we think we need to do it in order to be loved or, you know, we, we could be abandoned if we, if we don't do it for, for me, one of my beliefs was I need to achieve in order to be loved. Hello. You know, I got a doctorate for a reason, um, like achieve as much as possible, be successful. And that's how I'll be loved. And turns out my relationship with my dad did not change after I got my doctorate. And, you know, it was actually having like very real conversations with him and trying to work through stuff that had happened. And I think like it took me going through that and realizing like, Oh, I did all these things I thought I had to do. And I didn't get the result that I thought that I was going to get. So I need to change this belief system because this is not working for me. And you talk about that, you use a lot of the word of comfort mm-hmm. when you talk about these belief systems and survival mode. Can you, like, in what context you're talking about that in? Because I know you give the example of, like, when you put down your bag of Cheetos and you actually, like, look at what you're, quote, unquote, comfortable with, are you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times, I think a lot of us are um, in a state of we're, we're, we're struggling or we're, we're, we're suffering because we actually have these things that we're doing that we're numbing with, whether it's junk food or Netflix binge or whatever it is. Right. And we're numbing our emotions away, but we're just like comfortable. Cause that's what we're used to. That's how we think life is, or that's our beliefs about what life is or what relationships are. Um, and actually, you know, if we just went through the temporary pain of acknowledging the deeper, things there are deeper beliefs or the the ways that we're, we're hurting, then we can get on the other side of suffering. But a lot of people are just very comfortable in their day to day routine. Um, and they're not actually looking at, well, how does this make me feel? Or are my needs getting met? Or is this what I really want for my life? And I think even if it's mildly annoying, or we're not getting the results we want, as humans, we're still going to pick what we're familiar with. You all know this. Like, yeah. if I mean, this are- is even based on like Victor Frankl. He even spoke about with his yeah. book Man, in the Holocaust. Like people like, yeah, like people would like continue to stay in like the hell of like what they knew in the Holocaust because they yes. were like more scared of like what could be. Yeah. Humans, wild. we don't like change. We, we don't like change. So, you know, for me, for example, why did I date emotionally unavailable men for over a decade? Well, I knew how it would go. Very comfortable for me to know, you know, and this is all unconscious, but comfortable for me to know that we really wouldn't have to get to a deep, deep, intimate place and I would have to fully commit and I would be fully seen, right? Like I would rather have a surface level, not a deep commitment, because that was more comfortable. And relationships ending was comfortable for me. Like I was used to that chaos, right? And I think um, it took me a long time to realize that I was choosing emotionally unavailable people because I wasn't comfortable with true intimacy. Wow. So you like almost like you wanted there to be like that disconnect, essentially, like un unconsciously yeah because then you're having to be vulnerable when you're opening up to that intimacy like now you're like you're almost having to like face these oh yeah demons that are like 
you've been able to push under the rug for so long. I loved being the people I was dating. Like I wanted to be their therapist. That was so comfortable for me. Like, let me just know everything about you and support you. And I don't really want to be seen because I had deep beliefs here, you know, back to belief systems. I had beliefs that I wasn't good enough and there was something wrong with me. And if somebody really knew who I was, they would leave me. So I wasn't comfortable with people who were emotionally available. So I would only date people where I felt like, okay, I get to be their therapist. Yeah, I get to fix them. So. I love okay, so you pointing for, at me. Yeah, I see you pointing at me. I, I love, I love helping anyone that I think that could be a solution for, but I don't think it's because I don't want them to see me. Like I want them to effing see me. Too. No, no. The, the second she got to the second part of it, I was like, okay, I'm, half, I was like, are I'm you pulling the finger I back. The most, I was like, yeah, I am the most. But I was saying <laughs> you are the one that like you love to help people and and get to the root of things and you don't beat around the bush and you are like okay you have an issue I want to hear everything about it and I'm going to fix you I'm going to get your therapist I just sent you 35 therapists they're all in your area they take your insurance <laughs> here you go I, I'll get did you follow up did you email show me the email I need the, the sent receipts okay great when's your appointment is it on the calendar like very so over functioning <laughs> over functioning for people and sometimes there's beliefs I see this a lot with women who are very high achieving there's beliefs about like, ooh, I need to function for my partner or like take care of them. And then that way they won't leave me. It's usually unconscious, but it's this belief of like, that's how I maintain a relationship. I over-function for them. Oh, that's me too. <laughs> <laughs> this is so many women. I mean, like I we just know. get in that role. Like we do the mental load, the emotional load. Like as much as it house. like it, it, it annoys yeah. me sometimes when I'm like annoyed that I have to do all these things. It also it annoys you when no one asks you to do it. Well, no, not even that. It it it, it um security. There's a purpose. Yeah, it serves a purpose where I'm like, ha, you wouldn't even eat if I wasn't here. Like ha ha ha. Like a weird like mind. Yeah, Casey's like, I don't know what I I just like I feel so bad leaving you here in Dallas. Like one time, I know and you. I like, and I was like, I was like, I'm gonna miss you. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna miss you so much. I love you being here. But then I started realizing it wasn't just like, I'm going to miss you. It was like, I'm just like, like you're not going to eat. You're not gonna Are you going to drink water? I'm like, your wow. kid Kobe's going to be sitting in his diaper for days at a time. <laughs> I'm like, bitch, you know, my life runs when you're not here. I like fucking love you and I'm going to miss you too. But I didn't realize like what she was saying behind it, you know, uh -huh. but what's up guys. Are you studying for your BCBA or BCABA exam? And you are wondering where the F do I start studying and feeling wicked stressed? Well, don't worry. The bitches, Liat and I have got you covered with our live collective. What is the live collective, you ask? Well, it's only the best study prep out there, but it is 10 weeks of live classes. You meet Monday and Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time in Zoom with us. We are your behavior teachers throughout the whole time. We walk you through the entire fifth edition task list. So that's all the way from A through I. And we cover everything you need to know from your Cooper book to pass the effing test, either one and done or once and for all. So trust your girls. We got you. And if you're asking yourself what makes us different, well, guess what? We make studying not suck. We make it fun as <laughs> We write the notes out with you. We relate this to real raw and relatable shit that you're never going to forget. We promise. 
head over to www.studynotesaba.com and sign up. Guess what? Today until June 5th, if you sign up for the collective that's starting June 26th, you can take $50 off with code EARLYAF. So head over to www.studynotesaba.com and get the discount now. Okay, now I'm just reading the book. I, I saw a word in here that like just gave me an instant boner. And that <laughs> word was, is stimulus generalization. And you talk about the little Albert experiment, which we talk about a lot too. And well, if anyone doesn't know the little Albert experiment, you know, it's um, with Watson and he's a psychologist who had little Albert, the little boy. And anytime that he introduced, tell me if I say it wrong, because I like say it so much that it's kind of something I made it. Okay. So anytime that he presented like a, was it a, it was a white bunny rabbit. I've changed the animal a few times in class when I teach it sometimes. So I'm not sure like which, but okay. Let's go white bunny rabbit. White bunny rabbit. And anytime he would pay like a loud bang, like a loud noise. And so this was paired, right? This is that respondent conditioning. It was paired that anytime that he'd see the bunny rabbit, the loud noise. So now he associated that this white bunny rabbit, right, is essentially, let's say, like induced fear. Whereas before it was a neutral stimulus. Yeah, it was a neutral stimulus. And now it's a conditioned stimulus that elicits Mm -hmm. that same, you know. Response, yeah. Yeah, response. So you talk about that in relation to pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About that. I, I, it's so funny. I feel like I need to reread my book, but I'm like, it was oh, the name. Okay. I can tell you word for word. Don't was worry. the name of that bo- that chapter when love is a hot stove? Ooh, That's what I wanted to call it. Oh, no, no. Because yes. Okay. Well, see, you really know your stuff so well. The name of that chapter is Belief About Relationships or Why Your Brain to Support a Great Relationship. But the top of that section, like right where it comes from, it says avoiding the burn of love. Does your brain think love is a hot stove? Oh, see, I knew it. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And you talk about what exactly happens when the brain associates something with pain. There you go. So, So this is so many people. You all know these people where they were in a relationship and they got burned. It ended really badly. They got cheated on or they gave their heart to someone. And then the person said, I can't do this. I'm not capable of it. Like, you know, there's, there's so many ways that we can get hurt in love. Right. Um, and what can happen is we take that pain from past relationships and we bring it with us into future dating experiences. And maybe you and your ex went for ice cream on your third date. Um, and then now you're going to ice cream with the new person you're seeing, and your, your heart's racing and you're like, oh my God, this is going to end the same way. You know, he's going to cheat on me. Like there can be things that you experience in a new relationship that then you're connecting to your past. So you're, you're just, your nervous system gets totally, totally worn out. You get all anxious and you're predicting that the relationship's going to end in the same way. Cause you, you know, that as humans, we're always trying to predict how things are going to end. So we take past experiences Um, but here's the thing, new relationship, new experiences. And I I always remind people too, when you show up differently, you get to have different outcomes. All the women I work with in my program, 
you know, like, Hey, we're changing the equation. You can have a different experience. So it's just so important not to take your past relationships into your present dating life. Totally. And if you guys are thinking that is, well, exactly what happened with little Albert, right? He would see (laughs) then see a fluffy cotton ball and his, he would elicit, right? Elicit respondent behavior that increased heart rate. Then he would see a, uh, uh, white white pillow. Yeah. Yeah. White uh, puffy coat. Exactly. Whatever it was, he had, you know, generalize like all these multiple stimuli would evoke the same or elicit the same response evoke the same response depending on what we're talking about here you guys know i don't i don't want to be too literal with text but then i just sorry casey before we get there i just want to get into so that's that stimulus generalization right of like all these multiple stimuli are going to evoke the same response but we engage in something called overgeneralization is what exactly morgan had just said yes right you're like oh Anyone who takes me to an ice cream shop means they're going to be a serial killer because my ex was a serial killer, mm-hmm. right? Whereas maybe that's not the case, right? But we're always looking to organize information in our brains and protect ourselves, so we we do that. And you even use these terms in your book, which gave me a lot of excitement. <laughs> I love the, the psychology of learning, so you know, right up your alley. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating, right? It's like our brain is doing that to try to protect us. Like we're just using our past experiences, but it can totally sabotage your, your dating life and getting, getting a different outcome. Um, we have to allow things to be different. And we, we also have to make sure that this goes back to beliefs as well, but just that we are allowing ourselves to be attracted to different people. Right. That is important. Because usually what we don't want to be attracted to, at least what I've seen, like a lot of red, it's like sometimes you go back to the very thing that you know again, right? Yes, like which, which goes to Freud where we talk about repetition compulsion. I don't know if you remember that in the book, mm-hmm. but repeating patterns with the unconscious wish to get a different result. This is my favorite thing from Freud. A lot of what he says, I'm like, eh. But I I love that theory because it's so true. I see it play out in relationships all the time. We have this unconscious wish that this time I can get this person to love me. It'll make up for everything I experienced in the past. Oh, wait. So is that why, like, let's say you have a dad who's emotionally unavailable and like drinks and whatever and this and that, why you'll go essentially, you're like, oh, I want nothing like that. But then you end up with something like that because you're like, but this version of my dad, I'm going to make love me. Yeah. And unconsciously. Oh, for sure. And the crazy thing about this is you do it unconsciously and yeah, your brain has this unconscious wish that says, well, Hey, if it turns out differently this time, it's going to make up for everything I experienced in my relationship with my dad. And then of course it doesn't turn out differently. It, It ends up the same. This person can't love you. They can't show up for you. They're emotionally unavailable. And what happens? You feel like your life is over when the relationship is over. And that's because you're not only mourning the relationship, you're also mourning what you didn't get in childhood because you just had connected the two. So that's why we have these huge responses to, to breakups. Perfect. So, and some of these things and these that are happening, you talk about these, I'm just going to give some example of these beliefs that you may develop and someone listening might be like, these are quoted by you 
in your book. Thank you. Over here. I know you haven't read it lately, so I'll tell you what it says. <laughs> you it's a great book, so by the way. You, you really you should read it. It's a great book. It's a great okay. book. You should read it. I heard the offers um, pretty good. So here we go. So <laughs> she's cool. <laughs> here are some common unhelpful beliefs. One, relationships never work out for me. I need to achieve or be productive in order to earn love. Everyone I date will leave me slash cheat on me slash hurt me badly. I'll always be abandoned. My needs don't matter. I should focus on pleasing my partner. Love is unavailable to me. I'll never feel adored or desired. I'm not good enough for the type of man I want to date. I'm not pretty enough for a good relationship. Okay, there's more, but I just went through a lot of them, but there are. You're so sad as we're reading these. I'm like, this is just so sad, you know, but I know this is how so many of us have lived our lives. Like, but it's, it's just, uh, it's a terrible way to go about life to be, have, you know, to have these unconsciously but, running the show. But if you're able to identify these and then you could get into your other exercises, which you have of like doing a relationship inventory of like, if I realize that this belief is controlling my thinking, then you ask yourself, like, do I feel safe in my relationship emotionally, physically, et cetera? This is like hard work to do because it's like, like, it's scary. It's, like, yeah. It's even painful. in my past it's going through yeah, the pain. being like, yeah. wait, am I happy? Wait, I believe I should be happy based on like what it is on paper and what everyone else sees. But like, am I? That's when this gives me like a little bit of a stomachache, which I already had today in general. Um, were my needs being met? Could I express my needs and boundaries? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So now, not blah, 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 but it's just that I really want to get to the attached part of all this. So this leads us to attachment styles. And can you just, if you were going to give like a brief summary of like what attachment styles are for someone who's like never heard of this, you know, topic. Yes. For sure. What can you tell us? And I, I love this topic. I nerd out on this constantly. This is like my favorite thing. I always tell people that attachment theory is the missing piece of the dating puzzle. It, it really can help you understand a lot. So attachment theory, if I just had to sum it up really quick, is the science um, of understanding why you do what you do in relationships and why you are attracted to the people that you're attracted to. Um, it originated in the 1950s, John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth. They were, you know, they had baby monkeys with their parents and they separated the mom from the baby. And in the, in the research, they realized that when the mom was apart from the baby, the baby would prefer a terry cloth over food because the terry cloth reminded the baby of the mother. So they started to realize like, oh, connection is so, so important, right? Um, and then of course it led to parent-child attachment theory research and then romantic relationship attachment theory being applied to how do you pick your, your romantic partner? And there's been so much research. The book Attached is a great book. Now I'm going on a tangent. Am I good to go on a tangent? No, you're not. I love it. Keep okay. talking. I so, like so attached. Um, I, I love attached. And one of the ways that I disagree with it is they talk about your attachment style being pretty set. Like, okay, you're anxious. 
you're going to be anxious forever. Okay. You know, you're avoidantly that attached. Is, you're totally, it is kind yeah. of like that. It kind of is like, okay, you're anxious attachment style. You need to find someone secure. Okay. Yes. You're avoid. You need to find someone secure. So it's like, okay. So that's the issue I have so- with that book because, <laughs> yeah. okay. And, and subsequent research has proven this as well. And gosh, I've proven this with the hundreds of clients I've helped that you really can learn how to move towards a more secure attachment style. And I know we're going to talk about the attachment styles and, and what they each mean. Um, but I just want everyone to know you're not doomed, quote unquote, with whatever attachment style you have. You can become more secure. It's possible. So I... I read the book, bu- the book, I mean, not that long ago, but I've also read like a lot of books in between, but I know, uh, when they talk about, they were talking about like, they saw how different, so we could talk about the four attachment styles now, but I also want to talk about what those look like. In t- I mean, we're going to talk about it in terms of relationship, but what that looked like in terms of how the children actually responded mm-hmm. when they were away from their sure mother. Strange. Yeah. Yep. I, I thought that was so interesting. Okay, so which attachment style would you like to start with? We can talk about um, anxious attachment for sure. Yeah, anxious attachment in the parent-child studies, when when the parent leaves, the child is not able to self-soothe. So the mom leaves the room and the child is hysterical. They're not able to regulate their emotions. They're crying when the parent leaves, it's as if the parent is gone. They're not able to internalize it. Oh, you know, my parents still here, right? Like they're completely emotionally distraught. So then we move on to avoidant attachment style, which is kind of the other end of the spectrum here. And I want to note that all of us have percentages of all of these styles typically, but you have one that you're more likely to spend time in. So, so think about that. There's one style that's probably your predominant style, but you can also have strategies from other styles. Um, But with avoided attachment, parent leaves the room and the child may or may not even engage, may or may not notice. They're kind of like, they may cry for just a moment, but then they're just off playing. They're doing their own thing. It's as if they don't really care. They're hyper independent. Mm -hmm. And then we have a disorganized attachment style. Um, and this is where you have a mix of anxious and avoidant strategies. And this is a child who could be crying hysterically when the mom leaves at one moment and then all of a sudden off playing and it's like as if nothing's happened. So they just kind of go back and forth between the two. And what's fascinating with disorganized attachment when the, when the parent would come back into the room the child would sometimes even be angry. They might kind of like hit the parent because this style, which is only 5% of the population is associated with childhood trauma. So it just makes it really hard for children to even make sense of, well, how do I engage and get my needs met? It's really confusing with disorganized attachment. And then bringing us to (laughs) secure where we all want to be. Right. So in in the parent child studies with secure attachment, um, what would happen? The parent leaves the room and the child is upset and they may cry for a little bit, but they're able to self soothe and reassure and they can regulate their emotions. And when the parent returns, the child is happy to see the parent. And that's, 
you know, we could talk about that in dating too, but that's where we all want to be where of course we're connected and we value others, but we also are able to self-soothe and take care of ourselves and be independent. So we have both connection and taking care of ourselves. It's almost like this, like, like spectrum of, you know, I'm going to have a full effing meltdown if someone leaves me to, I don't give a shit, which isn't healthy either to Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm upset and I'm acknowledging that. And now I'm okay. And I can like be independent. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the secure sits in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Secure. Yes. Like you care, but you're able to like regulate yourself as opposed to like, Mm -hmm. Oh, then I don't give a shit. I get it. You're gone. You're going to be gone. I'm independent. I can do this myself anyways. Mm -hmm. Or, like, I think I need you, but I'm me. okay with you're gone. Yeah. yeah, I yes, and and I think what's really important to realize is that with both anxious and avoidant um, styles, they both have fears of intimacy. They're both really scared of being close to people, um, but those they deal with the fears in a different way, and the fears are a little bit different. Okay, so now let's take those. Now that we understand where to kind of where which. This is when we talk about uh, external validity, right? Like there was these studies done back then. And then when we talk about external validity, again, for anyone studying, sorry if I sound boring in between, Morgan. I just I love it. No, I love it. Okay, in case it like helps someone who's studying. We talk about external validity, right? Where we do like, well, initially started with, they saw something with monkeys. They're like, hmm, let's see if this applies to human. Let's see if we could apply the same concept. Then they looked at children and their moms, right? Then seems like who came along? We say John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. And they're like, let's look at this in terms of relationships, right? And that is why we do studies to look at that external validity later, how it can apply to other things. And I'm sure they'll use this later on for, you know, um, dog owner and owner relationships. You never know, you know. Oh God, Pavlov is 100% anxious attachment. Yeah, my dog totally is. Yeah, true. So let's talk about what these look like in relationships. Mm-hmm. And so the order you went in, I believe you started off with anxious. Yes. Yes. Um, so with anxious attachment, you have prioritized the relationship above yourself. You have fear of abandonment and you will make sure that you do whatever you can to try to get reassurance from your partner. So, so reassurance is knowing that, okay, we're, we're going to make this work. We're together. Everything's good between us, right? Anxious attachment, no matter how much reassurance you get, you still don't really feel good about the relationship. So you could have a partner telling you like, yeah, I'm really enjoying getting to know you, but you're actually not going to feel good probably until you see them again. And you're like actually in their presence. Um, and with you're like in your head questioning it. Yeah. You're always, you're, you're questioning the relationship. You're, you're, catastrophizing, you're already imagining how it's going to end. Like you are thinking about the relationship all the time. Um, this is the person where maybe you send like 17 text messages to your partner when they don't respond, right? Like you're, you're very much just going to keep asking for reassurance, even if you're not getting it. Um, yeah, definitely. I was going to say I had a really, uh, my ex before my husband, um, I'm just all these things that you're saying, these behaviors. Um, I would always in my head think of when it was going to end and how I was going to react and what, like, who's going to get what friends. And it was like, I'd play that movie in my head more than I'd in play a movie of us being together. We didn't even live together yet. Like, 
Mm-hmm. It was almost like a comfort thing for me to be like, you're going to be just fine. Like, oh, you, you, tonight you, he didn't invite you over. Well, guess what? You went and got a bottle of wine and cheese and you're having yourself a little cheese party. And you can do that too when you break up. And like, I would always do this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Such a cope. Yeah. It's, it's just a way of coping, right? Like we think about the attachment styles. You have these ways of coping that are not necessarily helpful to you. And, and I will say with anxious attachment, once again, you're just going to devalue your own needs and you're going to really focus on what your partner needs. Um, this also looks like those of us who like take on our partner's hobbies. Like my, my boyfriend is a fly fisherman. If I was, you know, if I had anxious attachment, I'd be trying to learn how to fly fish, like getting the reels and like wearing the fly fishing outfits. And thank God I'm securely attached and I'm not going to buy any of that crap because I don't want to fly fish. Okay. Oh, God. You're just like literally. Literally, Casey loves NASCAR races (laughs) and mini boat races. (laughs) She's laughing so hard because like. That is absolutely no. You kind of after a while, you kind of. I've, like, I've gotten better. Maybe I but... don't love it. She used to be like, "What do you mean? I love tiny boat races. It's like <laughs> the best. Nothing better than sitting with a lot of stinky guys inside of a trailer, pulled up eating hamburgers and hot dogs with those on it." <laughs> I'm dying. I'm literally, you guys, if you're listening, we're going to, this is also a video you'll see, but I'm literally tearing because it's so funny. The When you like actually call yourself out or get called out, you yeah. have to laugh because you you're like, laugh. holy shit. Like that was Casey. Wow. Come on. That was just too together, funny. Girl. No, I know, but and it shows how far you've come because yes. I used to be like, dude, do you even fucking like going to like Bumblefuck? North Carolina to like watch a tiny she's like it's the best of course I do I mean I'm with all Matt's NASCAR friends who fart and burp the entire time and we eat corn dogs and I'm like it sounds fucking horrid like I can't imagine yeah. you liking that she's like well there's that, that devaluing yeah, own needs to inflate right. devaluing your own oh, needs. you got no you got so much better at that I have oh totally and now you yeah. Matt knows when I'll go with him and when I won't it's like if, and I, if it serves me I will. There's kind of like with secure attachment, it's like, okay, I understand that's important to you. And there's things that are important to me. For example, my, my boyfriend, when he'll go fish, I'll bring a book with me and I love being outside and I'll sit on the beach and read my book and he's fishing. And it's, it's this beautiful compromise. We're both getting our needs met. We're spending time together. So there's ways to still engage and get 100%. your needs met. And yeah. that's like what I found is Matt now knows there's only one boat race I like to go to and it's in Canada because I can go to Niagara Falls I can read and there's a private beach see and that's my side and he can do his boat racing and but it took a while to get there well I love it I'm excited for you thanks girl me too (laughs) so is Leon let me (laughs) okay should we go to the second attachment style okay yeah so with avoidant attachment the deep fear is that I'm gonna lose myself and I'm gonna lose my independence And I'm actually terrified of having to depend on other people because people have let me down so much. So I don't really like being close to people or depending on people. Um, And a lot of times with avoidant attachment, we're going to find other parts of our life that we're much more comfortable investing into, such as career. This is a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm just too busy with my career. I have no time for dating. And that's actually what you're just more comfortable with, right? Um, and then a lot of times with avoidant attachment, this is someone where you went on a great date with them. You thought it was going awesome. You laughed, you had a great date. 
And then you don't hear from them for like three weeks and they just, then you told them you enjoyed it and they run. Yeah. As soon (laughs) as you're like, that was great. Nothing. Right. Like, so, and I'm exaggerating, but like very avoidantly attached people, they do this, they drop in, they drop out. And it can be so hard for someone with anxious attachment because you already have all these beliefs about people, you know, not being available and you have to work hard to earn love. And then it's getting confirmed by somebody with avoided attachment. And isn't that like literally like the, like if you're anxious, then you're like looking for this reassurance all the time, like trying to ask for this love. And that's like literally the one thing that is like making like nothing could scare the avoidant person more. Yes. Right. And I think one of the things I like, cause I feel like avoidantly attached people get like a bad rep and I always want to say, Hey, they're doing the best they can. They, a lot of times with avoidant attachment, they never learned how to even tune into themselves. Like they couldn't tune into themselves because their childhoods were too chaotic. There was no room for them to have emotions, right. Or tune into themselves. So if they can't tune into themselves, they can't tune into you. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's important to realize it's about capacity Avoidantly attached people do want connection. They just don't know how to do it. They don't have the emotional capacity to do it. Can they learn? Absolutely. Can they be willing to grow? Absolutely. They have to, they have to want to. So how can you make them want to? (laughs) No. So I have dated someone in the past who like things did not end for bad reasons. Like literally just because it was like at a certain point, I was like, okay, like, is this going to, like, progress anymore? Like, I'm sorry. It is so clear to me that you love me. Like, I have no question about it. Like, anyone who sees this externally, like, there is such a love between us. It is, like, so clear and obvious. And, like, but any time it comes to, like, talking about something, like, being progressively, it's, like, like a genuine, like, place of, like, complete fear. Like, I can't talk about this. Like, I literally, like, there's nothing more horrible to me to talk about than that. And it's like, like while in this relationship, I like I knew I sounded like crazy to other people. I'd be like, even my therapist, I'd be like, no, you don't get it. Like, I, I am, I come from like a, I would say in any test I've taken, like I am securely attached. I will tell someone when I love them. I could do my own thing. I'm like, I love you. I think you are amazing. I don't need them to tell me every second. But when I'm loved, I feel loved. So like to me, it was like, okay, what's there to see here? We both love each other you're amazing to me. I'm amazing to you. You fit in perfect over here, you know? And then it was like, but I don't like, it was as if, I mean, also I am someone who like literally like has like, when I love someone or something or anything, I like feel the need I need to tell them. Like, I just fucking love you. I just want you to know, I think you are amazing. And I just like see you for who you are. And it's, you know, and that's like literally the opposite of what someone needs to hear. And it's not because I'm saying it because I need them to say it back. It's because I just feel the need that I want to express how I feel because I am so communicative <laughs> about what I feel. <laughs> if something's off, I will say I feel it's off, you know. But it was so hard for me always because like every single thing that this says here, mm-hmm. I'm like, it would be things like, I want to take care of you. I want to be there for you. But like, you hate feeling like you're being helped by anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is, and 
Like, I mean, I don't know. Are people who are avoidant attachment, do they want to be like this? No. Mm -mm. They, the wild thing about avoidant attachment is they really believe they're bad at relationships. Like they just think they're really bad at relationships <laughs> and they wish it could be different. And, and once again, back to beliefs, they act in ways that confirm their beliefs that they're bad at intimacy. They're trying to prove that in the sense of yeah. fucking up or, or telling you exactly what you like, you don't want to hear, but they're like, well, I told you the truth. So the, the class. Really yes. Yeah. You all have heard the classic line. You're too good for me. Mm hmm classic avoidant totally. attachment. Like they're actually, they're just like, I can't put in this work. I'm not a good partner. I'm bad at this. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be vulnerable. Right. Once again, they can't even be vulnerable with themselves. So they can't be vulnerable with other people. Like the world of emotions is just too scary. Yeah. So you'd rather like avoid them at all costs. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And I will say, like, once again, we could change. I have helped couples who have anxious avoidant dynamics. I've helped them work to create a secure connection. There is absolute room for change, but both people have to want to do it um, and they have to want to do it together. OK, so that leaves us on from avoidant. This is hyper independence and hyper independence. Yes, we didn't talk about that. I think hyper-independence is so key in our culture right now. We, we see so many women this way too, where they're like, I don't need a man. I'm independent. I don't need anyone. And um, it's this belief of like, I'm just, I can take care of myself, right? And where it feels painful to depend on people or to admit that we need help. And as you all know, interdependence is with secure. We'll get there. We, we can depend on ourselves and we also need people. We need to be able to depend on ourselves and depend on others. But our culture right now glorifies hyper-independence for sure. Well, yeah, you're very interdependent. Sorry. Immediately I go to ABA terms. I'm like group contingencies. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, like, no, I am. I love, I, I can totally, take care of myself, but I love, but yeah, love, but I love people around me. As like, I hate people that help me. I not hate people that help me. I like, I feel weak when people help me. I feel like yeah. I, oh, I love taking myself. any help from someone. I could do things, but I love to take help. I know. And I, I admire that about you. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, her life seems like just a little bit easier because she doesn't feel that need to be like superwoman where it's like, yeah. Oh no, I can do everything. And uh, blah, blah, blah. it's like, you're like, all right, sure. You want to what admire, I admire the most is like, things when I'm with her in person that I would be like, Oh, well I'll just do. She's like, Oh, or I can call my dad or like, you know, so cause like we're kind of doing something else. So like that person can help us. And I'm like, they can help. Like what? Like, I don't even know what that means. So I'm like, it's just, and that's, and that's also why I find Leah, like, that's why she's I, coming to live here because she needs to have the support of a loving environment. Interdependent. I love it. But um, also, I don't think I like with my, like, life I don't think that I could like even like make it through with like I mean even if I was like hyper independent the amount of directions I'm being pulled in yeah. I would like be I mean also once I got health issues it was like okay I got to take help from other people because mm -hmm. like otherwise I will be hospitalized with a lupus flare-up so like take the help or I'm hospitalized and totally you know yeah but, people change sometimes we're forced to change but we're all capable of it we can learn new ways of being so I love this. And as I'm reading it, just this one is, I don't know if I have one relationship, I'll focus on my career. Do I really want the responsibility of a partner? What if I let them down? Am I settling? Is this person good enough for me? Am I ready for commitment? That sounds horrible. I'll be trapped the rest of my life. Now moving on to disorganized. 
Yes. Disorganized attachment. This is where you really want connection, but you're also deeply afraid of it. So you have fear of abandonment and you also have fear of intimacy. So this makes for very painful dating experiences. Um, things that people need to realize though, with disorganized attachment, it's not that you have both of those strategies and you're just using them at different times. It's usually, um, like, a up and down in a short period of time. So, so you go avoidant to anxious, like a pendulum swing. And this is why it's so confusing. So you, you can have anxious and avoidant strategies, but if they're not happening like that pendulum swing, then that's technically not a disorganized attachment style. People don't specify this, so I always like to say it. Um, but for example, like disorganized attachment, you have a great date with your partner, Maybe you're feeling anxious. You're like, oh, do they like me? You're wanting all the reassurance. You're asking them to tell them that they love you. And then maybe they tell you, I do love you. I want to be with you. And you're like, oh, I don't know about this. And you book a flight to Cabo the next day. You're like, I don't think this is right for me. So notice like the swing in behavior. Impulsive of, too, huh? Impulsive, yeah. Um, definitely connected to childhood trauma. Can be be connected with... Um, different personality disorders. Like this is a less common attachment style, but there are people that meet criteria for this. And I do see a lot of them because their dating lives are very, very painful and confusing. And it's hard to like, I mean, I do feel like being able to, what we use as the word is tact or like label, like when you like find out like, oh, this is why I've been having all these issues with my stomach. Like you're like, it's nice to be able to identify it or like, oh, this is why I seem to be like ending every relationship because you're like, oh, I fit into the avoidant. But I feel like this, like you're saying, could lead to a lot of pain because it's like harder to put your finger on, you know, like in terms of yeah, identifying as like, this is a consistent theme. Yes, exactly. This can be so confusing for people because they'll, they'll get in relationships and they're really in love and they're really anxious and they really want it to work out. And the next minute they're like, I don't give a shit about that person. I'm going to go date somebody else. Like there's the swing of it is, is really painful and confusing for people. So can just wondering like in these things, so these are obviously like the attachment styles that are, you know, we say like, from when we were young, let's say, and I know they could change over time, but can things such as like, let's say, and I know a lot of words are overused, but let's say like someone has like narcissism, okay? Like that seems like something separate than these. Like yep. they, right? Like that's something that could be like a confounding you're, you're talking about one of my You're talking about one of my biggest pet peeves, which is when people call people with avoidant attachment style a narcissist. That they're like totally different. They did both. <laughs> yeah, they, me too. They're very different because with a narcissist, the intent is to control and manipulate. With avoidant attachment, the intent is I need to keep myself safe. I'm scared of intimacy. So very. And it's not that you don't have empathy. Like when you're a narcissist, yes. like you really are lacking empathy. It doesn't yes. mean that you're lacking empathy because yeah. you're exactly avoidant. i think avoidant actually attached. more so yeah. you may be like well i don't want to cause anyone harm so i'd rather right yeah they're very different they're they're very different but i think in our culture like especially online you know people who don't really know these differences they're throwing around oh that person's a narcissist when actually they probably just have an avoidant attachment style 
Right. So, okay. That is interesting. And so some of the disorganized attachment thoughts are, as quoted here, I'd like to date, but how can I trust anyone? If someone, if I trust someone, they're likely to hurt me. I need to stay prepared to leave. If I threaten to leave the relationship, they can prove they love me by begging me to stay. I wish relationships weren't so emotionally draining and exhausting. My dating life is negatively impacting my career, my friendships, and my family relationships. I don't think I'll ever be capable of being in a quote-unquote normal relationship. And these people lack self-soothing skills mm -hmm. and are often emotion emotionally volatile. Yep. Um, and practicing push-and-pull dynamics in relationships. Yeah. That swing. The swing. They, they like, can... I want to pull you in tight and then I'm going to push you right away. Yes. That's a great, thank you for saying that. The pull you in and then push you away. If you get too close, I'm going to push you away. Yeah. And if we you're all too know. Too far away, I'm going to pull you back in. Yeah. F with your mind. And... <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And think get about close. it. Get close. Get close. No, no, no. Get away. It's, it's way too much. Get, you know. <laughs> These are people where chaos was the norm in their childhoods, where maybe they had a parent who was present for a little bit and then would go away, or they could have been in the foster home, you know, like who, who knows, but they had chaos in their childhoods. So they, they recreate a lot of chaos in their dating lives. I can see that. Very painful. Like, when you know, like, like when you're talking about the anxious and the avoidant, like there is, it's that clear, like stable whether and not using stable as a term as they're stable in the sense of like consistent, mm -hmm. whereas it's disorganized is like you almost thrive on that. Instability. Swing. Yeah. yeah that like yeah. absolute, like out of control. Like yes. what's going on. Are they in my like, life? Are they out of my life? Are they in my life? Are they out of my life? Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also when, when we did our podcast with um, Dr. Ingrid, she had said like you uh, we were talking about like how you again, and I guess we're talking about it today too. You're you're looking for like that is your comfort of that like, oh, I'm actually all set up for this. I know exactly how to deal with someone who is not emotionally available to me. Yeah. So I'd rather do that. We spoke mm -hmm. about that today too. I'm sorry, my brain is all over. I want to hear about secure though. Let's get to let's like what I, what I aim secure. to be. Yeah, let's talk about hashtag secure. goals. Okay. <laughs> So, so secure is this beautiful place where you say, I value myself and I value my partner. I value my needs and I value my partner's needs. I can self-soothe and I also want to be there for my partner. Um, and and you, you really do value connection and relationships and you know that they're important and you make time. Um, and you're able to set boundaries, you're able to communicate your needs, you're able to express your emotions, right? You're emotionally available and you enjoy relationships. That's what I, it's so funny. It's like before I learned about secure attachment and became secure, I just had so much pain in relationships. I didn't even enjoy them, right? But with secure attachment, you enjoy connection and relationships and dating and it just, it feels good. Okay, Dr. Morgan, how can we get there? So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some of your bullet points from your book in case anyone wants to know more, like which one you sit in. Okay, this is you practice that open, honest communication. Um, you could maintain personal fulfillment and co-create co-create partner's fulfillment. 
express reassurance and you could ask for reassurance at times because there are times that someone needs like the assurance like hey are we good is everything fine oh absolutely right? especially like early stages of dating we need more reassurance and then as we develop more secure attachment the less reassurance we need but we need reassurance for healthy relationships yep easily expresses emotional experience this is literally this part is, I told you, like, if I'm like, I will be like, I am so happy right now. I just want you to know, like, what more could we want? We're sitting with a beautiful sunset. This And like, I think sometimes some people who are like petrified of emotions are like, oh, you know. <laughs> um, okay. The thoughts of a secure attachment are, I value my partner and the life we are building together. I appreciate my partner's strengths and the way we work together as a team. My needs matter. My partner's needs matter. How can I better support my partner? Um, how can I ask for what I need so that my partner can hear it? Those are some of them mm-hmm. in there. So I have a few questions here. Is it possible that any combo can work? So I believe that both people have to be aware of what their attachment style is and both people have to want to co-create secure attachment and be willing to do the work. There are times when you just haven't moved enough towards secure to probably be able to, to create a healthy relationship. Um, but I do think that if you're willing to do the work, you, you can really make it work. So it's so, not black and white. Thank God. <laughs> so what does it take? I mean, you already, you've already seen, like, if we look at like certain things you say, case, it's like, you've already been pushing. Oh, aware. In. No, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. the awareness of it is, it's almost like acceptance is the first step. Right? Oh, for sure. Awareness yeah. is the first step. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I came on here today and was like, oh my God, Leah, I, I actually took it the quiz and I am a hundred percent secure. So I don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which the actual funny thing is it actually shows where you were like when I read this book six months or nine months ago, I don't know, after my divorce. And I was like, oh my God, look at this. Isn't this so interesting? Which of these do you check off? You told me you were like 95% secure. And I was just like, awesome. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Awareness. No, like, absolutely. Awareness no. is it's great. It's good to know. Yeah. You can't do anything so, unless you're able to admit it. So, or, but it's not like, it's like you could be in a relationship if you're both are, let's say, but it doesn't mean you'll be happy in it. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. if you have you're talking anxious- about like a healthy relationship, it's like, like, sure. Two anxious people could be together, but does it necessarily like, right. You're talking about like, we're talking about building a great a- relationship. Yeah. Right. I always okay. tell people anyone can just, have a relationship, but if you want to have a great relationship, you need to be able to build secure attachment. Mm-hmm. So how can someone work on building these things? Obviously we're going to put all your information in the show notes where anyone can find <laughs> you. And cause I know you offer different programs and such, but just if you were going to give like whether, okay, I'm going to give you a prompt, giving someone hope that they could, you know, move towards these, things and like maybe some things they could do and also by the way anyone reading the book there's like a lot of exercises in here that you could also do which is awesome but what would you say to someone who maybe is listening right now and is like i'm literally so fucked i know i'm like such an anxious attachment person Mm -hmm. and or i'm so much of whatever what would you say I would want them to know that they're not alone and that they, they really can heal. And I always tell people if I can heal, anyone can heal because I had 
so much I had to work on, but you, you can move towards secure attachment. Your past relationships do not have to determine your future relationships. You can always change the relationship that you're going to have. And it starts, of course, this is so cliche, but I would say start with the relationship that you have with yourself. Start with the belief systems that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, really looking at like, what are my belief systems that are running the show and realize that you need to begin to develop the identity of your securely attached self. So I'll always tell my clients, like, what would securely attached Casey do? Like you insert your name, right? What would the securely attached version of me do? And you start working on that identity and building those belief systems. And obviously over time, you just show up more and more that way. But it starts with awareness and it, it starts with you looking at your belief systems and becoming aware of, hey, what is the securely attached version of me? Do you think sometimes having help to do this, like potentially like when I think of back when I did like CBT years ago for like a different stage of my life, it wasn't necessarily about attachment styles at all, but it was about other things in my life. And like I said things so factually and they'd be like, and I'd be like, yeah, no, but that's, you know, I couldn't do that because of this. And they're like, you couldn't do it because of why? And I'd be like, oh, because he was there first. I have no idea. I'm just making up a random sentence. I don't remember. He had other therapy since then. But it was the idea of like, it when something's a belief, it is like your truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like you believe, like to you, you look at that as like, this is it. This is the answer. So kind of being able to like sometimes have someone to ask you these questions back, which like, I don't know, like have a good friend, like maybe like Casey in the past. I'm like, so you really, you love boat races, you know, like, or something (laughs) like that. And it's like, they might get pissed at you. I'm just saying, I don't know. I think (laughs) that's enough. It's. It'd be hard having accountability. I mean, that's why, that's why I built a program for this because, you know, we have coaches and there's structure and there's accountability and homework check-ins. It's really, it's hard to do this work. It's not a walk in the park, right? If it was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would have great relationships. It's really challenging. So I think just to have support and to have somebody who's holding you accountable to it, so, so helpful. If you are like really ready to do it, then there's so much in the book that if you know that you'll do it, you could do a lot on your own just by reading the book. <clears throat> totally. But Kind of like our classes we teach. It's like if you you could watch our videos by yourself if you want, but if you need accountability and like a place to show up with other people, that's like community. We see yeah. different people need like different things, but totally. I mean, I don't like doing things alone. You know, it's like, I love, like we have a, we have a private group where all the women will talk together about what they're learning. And I just love seeing community and people supporting one another. So I do think if, if you know you're ready and you want community and you want to really rewire your brain for a great relationship, then consider doing a program, whether it's mine or, or someone else's, but just having structured accountability makes such a difference. So much. So, guys, there's hope for everyone. And this was a great conversation. Thank you. know you. what? Securely attached people end up with not successful relationships, too, at times. So oh. don't worry, guys. Look at it's me. It's not equal here. perfect. I read that. Right. Yeah. Sure so just, it's not perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, 
you never know. But just just being able to identify these different parts of yourself is helpful in so many areas of life, in attachment, in the way you respond to like, I don't know, I've seen different things, like your relationship with money, your relationship yes. with others, your relationship with this. It's, yeah, you know, it's totally. just interesting to understand yourself better. So Dr. Morgan, thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I feel like we could have talked for like three hours. So thank yeah, you I'm for having me. Like, I'm reining it in. <laughs> I'm reining it in. And I told you I'm very vocal. I just want to tell you that like I love this conversation so much. Like I love what you share. I love your content. I felt so happy this entire time doing this podcast. So thank you so much. And I had a stomach ache before. I just want to throw it out there that it's gotten better since talking to you. <laughs> Aw, that's sweet. Thank you so much. I love what you ladies are doing. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that we're connected and hopefully we can do this again sometime. That'd be fun. Thank oh, you. There's a lot of different areas in the book I want to touch into. So I, we definitely should do a part two. And if anyone's listening, all of her information is going to be in the show notes. So you know where to but find it. Can them. you just tell us, or anyone listening, we're going to put in the show notes, but also tell us where we could find you. For sure. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram probably the most. And my handle is Dr. Morgan Coaching, Dr. Morgan Coaching. And then my podcast as well, Let's Get Vulnerable, two episodes a week. That's probably where I put like my my best content, honestly, is there. Um, yeah. Two episodes a week, guys. That is intense. That's like amazing. Go you and you do it yourself. I mean, it's Thank a lot of work you. podcasting, just to everyone knows. It that is. We love you and and, and I I love it. And as, as you know, it's so, so rewarding to help people and just yes. get information out. So I feel like you could like get it out to masses. And I love talking to really cool people like you. That's so right. That's right. Makes it worth it. Thank you so, so much, Leah and Casey for having me. Of course. Thank you. Guys, you know where to find us. You could find us on Instagram at Behavior Riches Podcast, on Facebook at Behavior Riches Podcast. You could find us on our website, behaviorbitches.com. Go leave us a five-star review in the Apple Podcast app. No pressure, but seriously, you should feel pressure to go leave a five-star review or none at all. And if you don't have an iPhone, go buy an iPhone because that's the only place we could read them. No, I'm just kidding. We like Androids too. But with that, that's all we have for today. So as always, love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides a complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super 
flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need Super. him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 